Here it is, another episode of the Infinite Banter Podcast. I'm Mark Jolliffe, a.k.a. DJ Soundwave, and I appreciate everybody for checking out the show, reposting, replying, and everything like that. Last week, shout out to Dirt Platoon. Really fun talking to those guys last week. Check out their new album, Get Your Hands Dirty, coming out in December, and that new single with OC Black Sharpie. All right, on this episode today, another music guest. Uh, when I was a kid and I first started getting into hip-hop and stuff, one of my first favorite groups that I was really into were the Fat Boys, and the one and only Cool Rock Ski is in the building. I'm going to talk to him, bring that interview to you guys, play a couple of songs of theirs so you get acclimated, or maybe it's been a while since you heard some Fat Boys songs. I'll play a couple here. I Also, I have to get to my top MCs list. I'm down to number four. So we're getting down to the really best of the best. And uh, I'll reveal that after the interview. I did see Mandalorian. I saw the first two episodes. I'm going to wait till the next episode because the third one will have come out by then. And I don't want to spoil anything in case any of you haven't seen it yet. So we're going to hold off on talking about Mandalorian until the next episode. But it's really good. That's all you need to know. It's really, really good. It's a Star Wars geek. I'm just super hyped for it. So without further ado, this is the Infinite Banter Podcast. And you can find this show on all digital platforms. A couple off the top of the dome here that you can find them at is on itunes apple podcast mixcloud Castbox, google play stitcher the show is on twitter at infinite banter facebook at infinite banter if you want to bother me personally i'm on instagram at dj soundwave 75 twitter as well at dj soundwave 75 all right before we get into talking to cool rock and playing a couple of the fat boy songs talking about number four on the list this show never begins as always until you hear the one and only DMC say this. Yo, yo, what's up? This is me, DMC, the K-I-N-G, the greatest MC in history. And right now, you're listening to Infinite Banter, because we will banter on forever, because this is the only place for all of y'all to ever be. I be Infinite Banter. All right, before we talk to Cool Rock Ski, let's play a song of theirs. This is one of my favorite songs that they ever did. This is off their third album, Big and Beautiful. This is Breakdown. And for me, this is like a song that it's a really good one to introduce people to hearing the Fat Boys if you're not that familiar with them. Of course, there's big hits like Jailhouse Rap and Pump It Up, Can You Feel It, songs like that I could easily play. But I wanted to play a song that maybe you're not that familiar with it unless you're a really big fan. And I think this song holds up really well and it's just really well done. It's one of my all-time favorites. This is Breakdown from the Fat Boys. On the other end of this, we'll talk to the one and only Cool Rock on the Infinite Banter Podcast. Here's Breakdown.
You listening to Drake House, man. DJ Soundwave, Infinite Banter, official. Are you checking out the Infinite Banter podcast? I'm Mark Jolliffe, and I'm pleased to be joined by, I mean, you know, one of the legendary hip hop crews of all time, the Fat Boys, and one of the members of that group. Cool Rock Ski is in the place to be. The one and only Cool Rock is in the building. How's it going, Cool Rock? Pretty good. What's going on, man? <laughs> man, it's an honor to talk to you, dude. And uh, just so much I could ask you. And the first thing right off the bat is, how did the Fat Boys get together? You know, how did you and Marky D and, and Buffy, how did you guys meet? And how did the crew, you know, come together as a group? Um, I would say me and Mark actually knew each other first. We kind of grew up together, same block. I met Buff like around maybe... I would say eighty one. Um, I met Mark, me and Mark. We go back to the seventies, you know. So, um, met Buff like um, when we turned like teenage, um, young, you know, preteens, whatever. So that's when I met. You know, we all met up together. We all had a love for for hip hop. We had a love for sports and hip hop. So um, we kind of just um, was doing both of those, just hip hop and sports together. You know, we played football and we rap. You know, so um, we just formed a rap group. And, you know, we went on from there. What sports did you guys play? Oh, we played football. Played football? a lot of football. Football was like um, football was like our first love. Actually, I was um, I wanted to play quarterback, um, but I didn't have the height to play quarterback, so I kind of just gave up on football after I couldn't play my, play that position. So um, Buff, Colin, Buff followed after that. Me and Buff went to the same high school, and Mark went to a different high school. We all went to the same junior high school. But then we, you know, we kind of, me and Buff went to the same high school and Mark went to another high school. So, um, you know, we just had that that love for football and then we took that and, you know, we didn't take it beyond high school, of course. So we just started uh, putting all our energy um, into rapping. So, you know, that was just the thing that was going on in our neighborhoods before it became popular. It, it was just going on in neighborhoods at that time, you know. So we kind of adapted to it. And speaking of football, I saw a picture recently where uh, I think Mark E. posted on Instagram where you had a Walter Payton jersey. So here in Chicago, of course, you know, we love right. seeing that. And, of course, you guys did a song with William Refrigerator Perry, chilling with the refrigerator. Yeah. Talk about that experience. That was fun. Um, we we went, we, we what, they kind of, you know, they knew who we were, you know, so we kind of just merged with the, with the refrigerator at that time because it was really popular. And the fact that he was a big guy, you know, so it kind of just, everything just fell, fell together. And we met Walter Payton. We met some of the Chicago Bears at that time. I know it was Otis Wilson. Um, I think it was Steve McMichael we met, you know, and they signed the football. The whole team signed the, um, the football of the 85 Bears, so they all signed it. So we all got that. that. You know, it was a real exciting time, you know, just to meet those guys. And, you know, it's one of the greatest teams of all time. And just to... Just to meet them at that time was like we was on like on a real high, you know what I mean? So it's a lot, of, a lot of fun. Yeah, you guys could have played on an offensive line maybe and uh, blocked for Walter a couple times. <laughs> yeah, that would have been crazy, you know. <laughs> that would have been dope. Yeah, yeah. Here... I do know nobody couldn't, um, nobody at that time, nobody could move Buff. Buff was like a rock of Gibraltar. I mean, you couldn't move that guy. So um, it was like there was a football player that played in the CFL. And uh, he was like maybe six six, like three, over three hundred pounds. And we betted him. You know, we, we were backstage at a show, and we betted him that he couldn't move Buff. I think we bet like five hundred dollars. <laughs> he put up five hundred, and he couldn't even budge him. You know, 
and he was like, man, this guy's like unmovable, you know? I'm like, yeah. And you guys walked bro. away with that money too, right? Yeah, we kept the money, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Buff would have been like, you know, uh, what's what's it like, white men can't jump or whatever, and you have like that, oh, he pick him, you know, oh, oh he could, we can't move him. He hits $500 easy every yeah. time. <laughs> and Buff, Buff played running back. Um, we used to play other neighborhoods. I mean, he would just leave destruction. They couldn't. I mean, I, I remember one guy just bounced off his thighs and just, I thought he knocked him out. Like, uh, kind of like that that play with, with um, Walter Payton. Somebody ran into his thigh, I think, from the Denver Broncos, and he was just unconscious. That's kind of like what happened that day. I was like, man, you know, <laughs> I'm glad he's on my team. You know? <laughs> Buff leaving bodies in the dust every, every time yeah, someone tried to go at him. <laughs> and he was fast too. He was really fast. He was, you know, for for a guy his size, he was just so quick. Man, that's awesome. So, you know, for a lot of us, the introduction to the Fat Boys is watching the movie Crush Groove. I mean, you had so many legends in that one. You know, like Run DMC and LL uh, Beasties had a cameo. Uh, yourself, of course, Rick Rubin, Sheila E. Is is a lot of that story true about how you guys are called the Disco Three, and then you, you kind of change the name? Or how did the name come about? Did you guys have any input in that? No, we didn't have no input in the name. We wanted to keep the name Disco Three. Matter of fact, I think it was Ad Rock, um, one of the guys from the Beastie Boys. Um, he wanted us to keep the name. He was like, "I wish you guys would have kept the name Disco Three. So many people wanted us to keep that name Disco Three, but the thing was. Our manager couldn't market that name. And plus, there was a rap group by the name of the Disco Four. So it was kind of like, um, you know, we had these elaborate names. We wanted, we didn't want to have an elaborate name group. So we had like Cool Rock Ski, Prince Marky D, Buff Love, the original Human Beatbox. These are like, you know, crazy big names. We didn't want to have a big, crazy name. So we had a basic kind of name. So we came up with Disco Three. Once the song Fat Boys came out, and it was um, a huge success. Our manager said we got to change our names to Fat Boys because that's the name. I mean, that's it, it's a hit song, and we should go by that name. So of course we fought that, and you know we fought it, we fought it. So the record company won, the management won. So you know we ran with the disco. I mean, we ran with the Fat Boys. At first it was Disco Three slash Fat Boys, and they just changed it to Fat Boys. So we had a big name changing party at a place called Roseland, and um in Manhattan, New York, and we changed it from Disco 3 to Fat Boys. And so the name stuck. Much, much our manager at the time who wanted to change our name. We, we didn't want to change it. You know? <laughs> so you guys were reluctant at first, but eventually, obviously, the name stuck and, and worked out for you guys for so many years after. Yeah, I mean, it, it pretty much be, it became a um, pretty much a household name because it, it, it kind of just went with everything that you, you would think of um, in society, you know. Somebody knew somebody who was a fat boy on on their block. You know what I'm saying? So it was like a name you couldn't really escape. That makes sense. Like so I'm sure other people looked at you guys as like inspirational. Like, oh, these guys are they're speaking my language. They're speaking to me, and I right. I don't feel so bad about you know being maybe overweight or something. Right. Exactly. I mean, you had guys like Biggie, Heavy D, Chub Rock. You know, you got fat boys. So it was like a thing where people could just take their names. Or, or, or the um, the image of who they were and just make a name out of it. So what's wrong with that, you know? So like you said, it's inspiration. So a lot of big guys were walking around with just their bellies hanging out and was like, hey, I'm, I'm <laughs> fat with this, you know? <laughs> you know? I feel proud to be fat, you know? <laughs> Man, yeah, you guys were the innovators for that. There wasn't, any, I'm trying to think back then, there wasn't any, any bigger MCs back in the mid-80s, early 80s like that. So you guys definitely held it down and 
like you named so many names that came after you, like Heavy D, you know, Big Pun, so many afterwards. So yeah. Right, and I think what happened was when people, when I guess when the when the, the entertainment industry, as far as the record labels, um, and in hip hop period, um, they seen how you can market a name, and nobody is not gonna have no backlash to it, you know. So before us, there was only like a big bank Hank, but he was like he was with um, Sugar Hill Gang, so it wasn't like he was big bank Hank. The, the you know, a solo MC, he was with right. a rap group. He was with a group called the um, the Sugar Hill Gang. But we were the Fat Boys, so we came out as the Fat Boys. And it was like, wow, they gonna get they can get away with that, you know? So right. like, <laughs> you know, speaking of that too, like, what did you guys think of the Skinny Boys? Because I remember as a kid, I was thinking like, are they kind of copying, or did you guys have are you guys familiar with them? Uh, what did you think of that? kind of taken off and like another group I'm not saying they're biting by any means but I'm just saying like you know taking what you guys are doing and flipping it like making it skinny instead of fat you know was it did you guys think anything uh, of that you know imitation is the highest form of flattery so we kind of looked at it like wow you know so this thing is gaining a lot of momentum you know we're so popular that people are coming out calling themselves skinny boys so you know we heard some of this stuff we was like you know they're pretty good you know we had nothing against them you know they were doing their thing and having fun doing it um, they were also, um, somebody was signed called the Fat Girls or something. Um, so, you know, people were, I mean, at one point, um, I was just telling somebody this the other day, um, that the Fat Boy Mania at, at one point was so huge. It was like, it was like one of the biggest things in hip hop. And, you know, it was like everywhere we went, you know, we would do autograph signings. I, mean, I remember one time we were at a McDonald's. And they were helicopter. We were in Detroit. They were helicopters and police. I mean, you had the whole police force down there. Had over thirty thousand people in front of a McDonald's. Not to mention like over two thousand inside the McDonald's just for autograph signing. So it was it was really crazy at one point. You know, everybody who pretty much just just came in and just said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna just take this name and." make something out of it, like the skinny boys or the bad girls or whatever. We were like, all right, you know, cool, make your money. You know, have fun, you know? <laughs> like you said, <laughs> imitation is the best form of flattery, without a doubt. Right. <laughs> I have to ask you one more thing about Crush Groove. The scene in Sabaro when you guys are doing the all-you-can-eat, and it's like the food was crazy. Did you guys eat? As, I mean, obviously, there's no way you guys ate as much food that you guys portrayed in the video or in the movie, but... What was it like filming that scene? It got to a point where like the wallpaper was gone. It was like so much, right, so much right, food. Right. <laughs> Talk about that one, man. Crush food. That scene for all you can eat. We were on the second um, Fresh Festival tour. Um, it consisted of us, Run DMC, um, Houdini, uh, Flash, and the Furious Five, and Courage Blow. So we went on first that night. We usually would go on right before Run DMC, who would close the show. We went on first that night because we had to catch a jet. We were in Alabama, I think. And we had to catch a, a private jet to New York to, to shoot the last scene of Crush Groove, which was um, the all-you-can-eat scene. So we got there like 5 o'clock that morning. We got, we got to the airport 5 o'clock that morning. We got to the set like 7 o'clock in the morning. That, shot, that, that scene was shot like really early in the morning. So... They had all this food out already because they already had the, the, the steam set up. But the food was cold. It was, like, really cold and was, like, so they were telling us, you guys are going to eat this. We're going to yell cut, and there's a spit bucket right there. So oh, we're, we're, <laughs> Yeah. So we eat because that food was not, by that time, it was already the hamburgers was looking like, you know, something you wouldn't want to eat. 
So we just bite into like, oh, this is disgusting. And we just spit it out after that. And, you know, of course, they edit the movie after that. They edit all the stuff that we ate off the walls and all that stuff. So it was fun. It was crazy. It was probably <laughs> the most memorable scene in the movie, you know. Well, every time I see a Sabara, I, I always think of that scene. And I don't believe they have an yeah. all-you-can-eat buffet. So maybe you guys ruined it for the rest of us. So thanks. Yeah, thanks, exactly. man. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that scene is classic we, for sure, we, man. We paved the way for places like Golden Corral and all these other Oh, places. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Old country buffet, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Speaking, you, you brought up the Fresh Fest and uh, specifically Curtis Blow. I mean, you guys did a lot of work with Curtis Blow on your first couple albums. Talk about working with him. And I mean, and that Fresh Fest tour, I wish I could go in a time machine and, and go watch that. that. That had to be something to be on stage with those, those crews you just mentioned. Oh, man, yeah, it was so much fun. Um, working with Curtis Blow was a lot of fun. Um, after we did our, we had our first single after we won the rap contest, the rap and dance contest. Our first single was a song called Reality. And it was a take on what Flash and the Furious Five was doing with the message. At that time, everybody was making a kind of a, a conscious message song. So we kind of did that. And, you know, and it flopped. I don't think it sold 2,500 copies. So we had to regroup. So our manager regrouped, um, and he pretty much recruited Curtis Blow to do the album. So we were, you know, we was all hyped up about meeting Curtis Blow first of all. So we got in the studio, and he was already there. And we make, you know, we walk inside the studio, see Curtis Blow. You know, he got Jerry curls and everything, and he's just chilling. And we're like, wow, that's Curtis Blow. So after about ten minutes of just staring at him, you know, it's like, <laughs> okay, guys, it's time to get to work. You know. So. Um, he was cool though. I mean, he taught us so much about the business and his first thing to me and Mark was like, you guys, cause we were the rappers. It was like, you guys got it right. You got it right to own stuff because that's money for the rest of your life. They say, you got it right. You always got it right. And, um, he was the one that had the idea for using Buff to do the Brooke Stickham song, which was the B side of Fat Boys. And he was like, we gotta, we gotta have a song where he's the attraction. So what he did was he just said, um, we had some ad-libs. That me, we, me and Mark would rap. We would ad-lib. We would say stuff like, you know, put up, stick them while one of us is rapping. So he said, what's that thing you guys are always saying, like, put up, stick them? He's like, well, you know, there's just ad-libs. He said, well, start off with that. I'm like, you want us to start off a song saying, put up, stick them? <laughs> like, yeah. He said, it's going to be an acapella song with no beats. Buff is going to provide, you know, the music. You know, we did it, and we played. I remember us playing it back for the record company, and they went crazy, you know, and they never heard nothing like that. So when the song came out, people just went berserk. I mean, they played Put Up Sticker more than Fat Boys. And people were, you know, break dancing, and everybody, every, everywhere we went, they wanted Buff to do the, the beatbox. They didn't believe that was really Buff doing the beatbox. So, um, yeah, that was a huge song. And, you know, that propelled us to get on the tour, with um, at that time we were just doing shows, so somebody came along and asked our manager if he if he have any, because um our manager Charlie Stetler at that time he had an affili- affiliation with um Swatch Watch, and he knew the guy personally. They was kind of like almost like best friends. You guys did a commercial so he, for Swatch too, right? Exactly, right. exactly. And he pretty much told them he can get Swatch Watch, um, to sponsor the tour, and he could get Sprite. So they said, hey, if you can get that, you know, we'll let you guys on the tour. Because at the time, they didn't want us on the tour because we didn't have a huge body of work. All we had was 
the Fat Boys song and the Purple Stickles up, but they were picking up songs to right. get us on a tour. So he said, well, without Fat Boys, you can't have Swatch Watch, you can't have Sprite. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, we got to get on tour. So we got on the tour with those guys. And, you know, we did shows with Run DMC leading up to that. We did shows him and there. Uh-huh. Um, but to watch them on stage every night and do what they do and to watch Houdini and, you know, Curtis Blow. And, you know, we had to bring it just like those guys, you know, like they were bringing it. So, you know, it was competition every night. man. I mean, you know, you had some of the top rap groups at that time and top rappers. So there were there was just competition every night. I mean backstage and in 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 you know in the um in the dressing rooms battling out. You know, at the hotel we were in each other's rooms just rapping, you know, all night. <laughs> so there's always competition. <laughs> you know, we just had so much fun. We just it was just so much chemistry, you know, of us just trying to bring hip hop to the masses. And it worked out because there was a sellout show every night. You know, and, you know, it just propelled hip hop to a, a bigger stage, you know, once that tour was so successful. You know, so we had a lot of fun with those guys. And talking about human beatbox, I mean, you know, obviously beatboxing is such a fundamental part of this, especially the early days of hip hop, you know, Dougie Fresh and, you know, Big yeah. Marky, Rozelle, you know, some of the classics. But human beatbox obviously was one of the greats of all time. And my nine year old nephew is like beatboxing because I guess it's a new thing again, like it's kind of coming back. Right. Well, how did you guys right. work on crack? I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but uh, was that always a focal point? We've got to make sure Buff is on these songs and make sure he's a, a focal point with the beatboxing. And what do you think of it now where it's sort of making a comeback? It's crazy because I just put up a post like two weeks ago um, that I mentioned what you just mentioned when I said that Buff, Rozelle, um, Dougie Fresh, Bismarcky, and a guy by the name of Kenny Muhammad, they pretty much... They, set, they made their own lane in hip-hop. I mean, if you think about it, they actually integrated themselves in hip-hop. Like, there was no beatbox. It was just break, break dancing, DJing, graffiti, you know, rapping. Um, but these guys made their own lane. So um, I, 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 I see a lot of these competitions now on, on, I think, Instagram. I see a lot of them. And it's crazy that, you know, some of these guys, they're doing stuff that, you know, Buff and Ducky Fresh and Rozelle, they're taking it to a whole nother level. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, right. it sounds that coming out of these people, like, you're like, you know, these people are human. But, um, you know, it's crazy that, you know, it, it, it's coming back in style and it, it's becoming popular again. Um, and, and, you know, it, it is definitely a part of hip-hop. So, you know, it, it's big time, just like DJing. It's a part of hip hop. See, if you if you don't have a DJ, you got to have a beatbox. You got to have something to rap to rap with or rap right. to. So, um, you know, beatboxing is definitely um right up there with everything that's that's in hip hop. Yeah, I had to school my nephew, and he's telling me about beatboxing. I'm like, well, give give me your phone. Let me show you some YouTube. Let me show you. Let me show you about Buff. He, this is one of the all time greats, and this is how you do it. And, and he's like, oh, I like now he likes the fat boys. So it's awesome to me. I'm in my forties and this dude's only nine and he knows about buff and cool rock and Prince market. So man, you guys, you, it, legendary stuff still lasts forever, man. It's, it's always going to be there. Yeah. You know, um, you, you, you don't know when you're making these songs back in the day, how much impact they're going to have in the future. Cause at the time you just, you're just having fun. You're working hard to, to, you know, make your place in the music industry. But, um, 
you don't know the impact it's going to have down the road until you get older. I always wondered, did you, did you guys, and maybe all of you had a different point of view on this, but did you guys feel like you ever got your proper due? I always feel like when they talk about the greats in hip-hop, I don't feel like the fat boys get the proper respect. I'm going to give it to you right here. Give these dudes their props. These are legends in the game. But do you guys ever feel like you got slighted or, or not as far as like, you know, getting a proper due for your, what, your contributions to the music? Um, I mean, all the time. All the time. I mean, I think like maybe three or four years ago, me and Mark was talking about this. And we were just talking about our body of work and how much we had, how much fun we had um, just, you know, getting into the hip hop um, industry. I mean, the music industry and getting into hip hop. And he said, you know what? He said, but at the end of the day, we still don't get our respect. And I said, you know what the thing is? We get our respect and our props from the right people. I said, for the people that just came along, and, you know, you know, MTV sometimes have these panels of 20-something-year-olds, and they say, who's the best MCs and who's the best rap groups? They don't know nothing about no hip-hop. I said, so we get our respect from the, from the right people. I said, so when Rolling Stone magazine comes along and they want to do a whole um, two-page story about the fat boys, that's the right people who know that. That's the people who know their hip-hop. Right, right. You know, or people like you who know their hip-hop. So I want to concern the people who really know hip-hop and really know the impact that we had, you know, in, in, in hip-hop. I'm not concerned with people who just Johnny come-alongs, you know, two days ago and like, I, you know, oh, they weren't, they weren't this and they weren't that. I'm like, well, you don't know. So, you know, so, exactly, you know man. I, I really don't listen to them, you know. And that's why, you know, before you came on, I played the song Breakdown and I'm going to play a couple songs later. Just I wanted to craft it to where people can hear these songs and like these guys are not just some novelty act. These dudes were really putting down lyrics and putting out that real hip hop music from back then. And for you guys to be on stage at Run DMC and Houdini, I mean, it wasn't like you guys are just some slouches that they put on stage. You had to bring it, like you said. Yeah. And you had to sell records back then. You see, I, I'm listening. I, I look at a lot of this stuff now, and I was me and this guy was arguing the other day, and he was telling me it's not like it was back in the day. You know, you don't have to sell um, hundred thousand copies in the first week, and you know you could sell eleven thousand, and it could be successful. And I said, let me tell you this: if you sold eleven thousand copies in the first week back when we were rapping, you could have no rap career. The label would kick you off. That's a flop. <laughs> Nowadays, it's acceptable. And I said, you had, I mean, you know, you're talking about a gold record and you're like, well, you know, 200,000 copies for an for, uh, uh, entire album for the whole year. That's good. I'm like, dude, I mean, you know how hard it was to go gold, to go gold each right. album than platinum? I mean, it's hard to do that back then because you didn't have the media outlets you have now. You didn't have the masters who know what hip hop is. So you had to sell this to people. You had to get in a car and drive around and sell this music. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you get online and just put your product on iTunes, and, you know, that's it. You got to hit or, or, you know, get a YouTube channel. You really had to go out there and do the footwork, and you really had to sell the product. And, you know, 23,000 copies in the first week is not acceptable for a label that's putting behind all this money. Right. So, But I guess it is now, you know. And one of your biggest songs that you guys had was Jailhouse Rap. I mean, and the video was crazy. You guys got the Jailhouse suits on. And, you know, shout out to you for bringing up Burger King, one of my favorite spots. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're allowed to go back after, you know, you quote unquote robbed the spot. But um, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> talk about that record, man. It was it's it still holds up. It's it's so great that, you know, how you guys are talking about, you know, what happened to you and ended up in jail. I mean, it's one of the, the staples for the Fat Boys. Talk about that song. Oh man, I was just um, I like once again I posted 
that song on um I posted um about the song on, on Facebook because I was listening to the instrumental and I was listening to how dark the how dark the track was and how the bass line was just the song was just so dark that you would think a rapper would come on nowadays and the way they rap now is everything is all about guns and drugs and all that stuff. They right. would put that kind of those kind of rhymes with that kind of track. Although Mark had the twelve like, gauge, remember. Right, exactly. He needed that pizza. He needed that pizza, dude. <laughs> right. And I did a kind of a Debo kind of rap where I say, I don't pay for nothing. I'm the king of the slots. Like, I don't pay for this, you know? My so, burger um, chump. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, it was it was dope, man. Just I mean, just walking through the studio that day and hearing that song and, you know, Davey D, um, legendary Davey D playing the bass line. It was just like, like I said, the song was so dark. I'm like, man, you know. What kind of raps can we do to this? And Curtis Blow pretty much painted the picture. And we just wrote the rhymes out and, you know, just did it. And um, I remember it came out. I was in the car. It was coming from the the management office. And I heard it on the radio. And when Buff came on, you know, with Buff beatbox and, and the bass line, that boom, 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 boom. I was like, oh, man. Because, you know, you hear it in the studio, you hear it on the big speakers. But you want to hear it on the small speakers, which is the car. So it was crazy to hear that. That's the true know? test, the car test, every time. Yeah. Was there a song or verse that always stood out to you uh, that you guys did, or, or you personally? I would think, um, uh, I think Mark's verse, when he came on on Can You Feel It, now you told him now the gym standing on the wall, and it's time to get steady and on the ball. You know, you know right. he just came on. I mean, his verse just came on like as a matter of fact kind of rap. It wasn't like he had an intro. He just came right in. So like, now you're cooling that. Like he picked off on a, off, um, from a conversation he was having with me or something. Now you're cooling out a jam standing all over the wall. I mean, Can You Feel is one of my favorite songs we ever did. Um, Falling in Love um, off the Crushing album, one of my favorite songs, you know. But, um, you know, we got, I mean, you know, not to be even brag, but we, you know, you got a catalog, so we got so many songs. So we, I got a lot of songs that I like. I think "Falling in Love" is probably one of my favorite songs we ever did. Because it, it, "Falling in Love" to me, the Crushing album, we were on our fifth album. Um, no, our fourth album. I'm sorry, our fourth album. And people was pretty much writing us off. They was like, "Well, they did three albums. I don't think they can do it again." So we pretty much had to regroup again, once again. So we got some different producers. We got a whole new kind of sound. And that song, Falling in Love, was so grown up for us. Like, that sound was grown up. The topic was grown up for us. And, you know, I was just so proud of us for just stepping up to the plate. You know, we kind of left behind the kind of the food stuff and and kind of like the, you know, the, the funny stuff. It was getting kind of more advanced with our lyrics, kind of more advanced with our topics and, you know, just growing up. So I think Falling in Love, one of my favorite songs we ever did you know and plus wipeout was on that song which made the album more successful right that's like 87 and that's that's back when like ll was making the love songs too where it made it cool to do those kind of records you know right exactly exactly and and speaking of uh that era 87 of course you guys did the movie disorderlies and uh you worked with ralph bellamy who many remember from trading places I mean that that movie it's it's hilarious still to this day I could watch it you know nonstop uh, talk about filming that movie and how much input did you guys have on lines or any anything that happened in the movie were you guys involved with any of the writing or anything like that a lot of stuff we did on disorderly was just like crush group we made it up as we went along um, maybe on the set 
um, maybe an hour before shooting. Um, a fun fact about Ralph Bellamy was he was the second choice. Art Carney from the uh, Honeymooners. Oh, Norton? Was the first really? Choice. Yeah, Norton was the first choice. But he wanted too much money, so they went and got Ralph Bellamy. Ah. And he agreed to yeah, that would have been funny to have Norton. <laughs> I'm a big Honeymooners fan, so I think I would have liked to have seen that version too, but that's all right. Oh, that was a huge, I'm a huge Honeymooner. I watch the marathon like every year. On oh, year. man. Yeah, I got to so ask you, since I'll you're a Honeymooner, do you have a favorite Honeymooners episode? I mean, mine's always uh, the Lulu one with the he's sleepwalking. Ed Norton's got the dog or whatever. Oh, man, yeah, yeah. I think mine is the Hufflepuff. Oh, that's <laughs> a good one. He does the Hufflepuff. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the funniest ones. The Christmas one, the Christmas episode is really good. Um, he has so many, I mean, it's just classic. He was just so ahead of his time, you know. Um, Jackie Gleason was like ahead of his time with that. So. And you guys uh, shout out uh, Jackie Gleason on the, the song from Disorderly's, Baby, You're a Rich Man. I think you're naming all the yeah. rich people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We did. We did. Um, yeah, Jackie Gleason. I was just watching... Some of his clips from um, Smokey and the Bandit. You know, oh, that, that's just classic. So, yeah, <laughs> that's classic. So. Yeah, Disorderly was a crazy movie, man. I mean, the the, the it's kind of had like a Three Stooges vibe to it, but from a newer point of view. And uh, you know, you guys had a couple songs in there. And I I remember I think the Beach Boys showed up at the end of the movie. Maybe that was before Wipeout. I don't remember the timeline of it, but uh, that was obviously yeah, a thing to come. That, yeah, that was that was um, that was prompted our manager. To say let's do a song with the Beach Boys um, after they made a cameo in the movie. Also, um, Ray Parker Jr., who did Ghostbusters, he actually produced Baby You're a Rich Man. He was in the movie uh, for he had a brief cameo. Oh man, I guess I, I got to watch it again. I don't remember him being in there, but I'll have to look for it then. Ray Parker Jr. Okay. Ray Parker Jr. Yeah, we did Baby You're a Rich Man in his studio. Matter of fact, we honestly only saw the movie once at the premiere. So it might have edited his part out. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, so. Sorry, Ray, if Ray's listening, if he ever plays this, uh, our mistake if we uh, put you in the movie that you weren't necessarily yeah, in. <laughs> Speaking of movies, man, I, I always think of that line in Boomerang. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, where Chris Rock's like, first the fat boys break up and now this. And yeah. uh, I always wondered, like, is did you guys actually break up or did you just kind of go different paths? Because I know you and Buff made that last record, Mac Daddy and, and Prince Marky D. He did a couple solo records and did some production. Did you guys ever physically, I mean, did you guys actually break up or was it just kind of just did your own thing? You know, it just drifted apart. It just drifted apart. Um, I think um, after the On and On album, the last studio album we did, um, we kind of just, you know, the management, we stopped talking to the management. Stop talking to the label. Uh, we had no, well, we had no communication with both the label and the management. Um, so we kind of was just drifting like free agents, you know. And thing was, it was we were like chickens with our heads cut off. Thing, I mean, at that time we were we were so programmed to wake up in the morning. Have, uh, our itinerary was full with filled with everything under the sun, and everything was done for us. Um, one thing I always say about the, the industry of entertainment is that it cripples you. It cripples a young person really bad because they, everything is given to you and everything is done for you. That when everything is over, you're pretty much like out in the sea with, without a life, without a lifeboat, lifeguard, whatever. Because you don't know what to do. You don't even know how to even sign a check or, you know, or, or balance a checkbook. Right, they don't teach you that. 
Yeah, they don't teach you that because they do everything for you. Everything is done for you. Your flights are done for you. The hotels are booked for you. Everything. So pretty much when we, when the popularity um, started to go down for us, um, we were pretty much like, what, what, you know, what to do? So we started just hanging out because we were catching up on a whole lot of things we missed out on. When at the height of our popularity, um, we were still young. We were like, teenagers going into our, our 20s, you know, um, or just becoming 20s. So a lot of things we missed out on, the hanging out. Um, we, didn't, we didn't go to the proms. We didn't go to uh, the graduations, none of that stuff. So we just started catching up on a lot of things we missed out on. So we just started hanging out and just having fun. And we were pretty much leaving the music industry, you know, in the rearview mirror. We, we just didn't really, we really want no more parts of it. So um, we did shows here and there. Um, and, you know, so we kind of just drifted apart. So one one day, Mark, um, Buff just came to the house. He was like, well, um, Mark said he wants to go do an album. And he wants to just go out and just explore. And I said, cool, you know. And he was like, well, you know, if you want to do something, let me know. So we got in touch with some people who paid us a boatload of money just put an album out and the album we didn't put no effort into the album we just did an album because we was just you know we had no structure we right no right structure. just being buff no management just me and buff just having fun and um so pretty much just drifted apart and you know so we thought about doing another album together and i think in 95 we was, we was planning on going back in the studio and doing another album you know that's when buff passed away so, right, but um, you know, we just drifted apart. It was like we, I hate you. No, I hate you. I hate you. It was nothing like that, you know. Right. Well, sometimes when you see like these documentaries, like I remember there was the unsung on TV one that they did with you guys, and I was waiting for that like that one scene, and then it happened, you know. And it didn't. There was right. none of that. Like you guys didn't have like real beef or anything. It was just like you said, you drifted apart. And um, I remember there was a part where Dougie Fresh came in and he was doing some beatboxing. Was there any? thought of maybe you guys doing something with Doug as like a, as a beatbox part? Um, we did something with Doug um, in 2012. We were on a cruise and at the time joined the morning um, morning cruise at the, we call it the uh, Fantasy Voyage. And, you know, they have all these acts on this cruise, like a seven-day cruise. So I met up with Doug maybe like three days before I went out, you know, we both went, you know, get on the same boat to, on the same cruise, rather, to go to um, St. Martin or whatever. And we were in Connecticut, and he proposed that. He said, you ever thought about, you know, us getting on stage and doing something? And I said, no, I never thought about it. <laughs> Honestly, I never thought about it. <laughs> just, really, just really blunt. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I actually thought that I never thought about that, but... um. I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm open to it. I asked Mark, what, he, what does he think about it? So once we got on the cruise, um, we had this show, which consisted of us, um, EPMD, Arrested Development, um, Roxanne Shantae, Moni Love, um, Naughty by Nature, and Common. And we were only going to do like two songs. Each artist do two songs. And this, I mean, it was like the most anticipated show ever on that cruise because it was so many people. Um, so two days before the show, um, Doug comes to my room and he's like, yo, I think we should do put up stick with me on the, on the beatbox. So 
So I called Mark down from his room. He came down. We talked about it. And we practiced it. So we're practicing. And so he's listening to Buff's part on the beatbox. Like, um, you know, as Buff is doing the beatbox. So he's, he's just sitting there and he's mesmerized. So Mark is like, what's up? He's like, I can't believe how this guy could go from beat to beat and not even pause. It's like, yeah. he's just like it's like a non-stop and he's like i never understood how he could do that it's like he was so amazed by like you never heard the song before i said yeah buff was no joke man he had that he had that wind he had that power and um you know he tried to duplicate it at, at the sound check and he had to pause and then go into another beat i'm like he's like i just don't understand how he ever did that you know, and and it came off huge. I mean, people they went crazy when when we thought, you know, said those those words, put up stick, and ha ha, and Doug come. I mean, that place went crazy. So yeah, we had fun, and I talked to Doug two weeks ago, and he said um he wants to do some shows. He said I can line up some shows, and we can see how it works out. And I said I'm telling you now, it's gonna be it's gonna be huge because people. They want to see us back out there. Yes. And me and Mark are taking our time because we're like trying to see how we can incorporate um, Buff into this whole thing. And he said, yo, I'm telling you, if you let me do it, he said, you know, he's like, um, he's, you know, he's kind of like, it may work. I'm like, no, it will work out. <laughs> if, you're, if you're on it, it will work out. And I'm telling you, it's going to be huge. So we're going to plan some stuff in 2020 and we're going to, you know, come out for the summer and just try it out. Man, you know, with some other apps. fingers crossed that here in Chicago we get to uh, get to see you guys. I would be super geeked to see you guys all on the same stage. Oh, that'd be dope, man. I, I'm hoping, man. I mean, like I told Mark, we got to practice, though. You know, we can't just do this um this winging it kind of stuff and just you know people just happy to see us. I say after ten minutes, that energy goes down. They want to see a show, so we got to. That's <laughs> we gotta true. Bring a show. And, <laughs> And a lot of people might not recognize you because you obviously you've lost a lot of that weight and you know you've definitely made a life choice and change. Talk about how that's been for you. Too. I'm sure people see you and like, wait, you're Cool Rock from the Fat Boys. Like, there's, there's no way you're that same dude, right? You probably get that all the time. Yeah, I um, get that a lot, and sometimes it's um. I mean, to be honest with you, after a while, it just got to the point where I was like, I wanted to just be low key, um, and just live that normal life. You know what I mean? Like, um. A lot of people always, if you're from the outside looking in, you know, the first thing you say is, man, if, I, if that was me, I would do this. And like, you know, that sounds good until it actually happens. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, after a while, right. you just want to get out of that whole spotlight thing. No doubt. You want to live a normal life and not even, you know, you want you to get a nine to five like every other citizen in America and just, you know, just do your thing. And <laughs> I remember being at an airport. And I was coming back from Orlando and I'm going back home to New York and I'm sitting in the airport and this guy, he's this big dude, he's like six four, like two two fifty, you know, there's a freaking linebacker at first. And he's walking by and he's staring at me. I got my headphones on waiting for my flight. I looked up at him and I'm looking around like what the hell is he looking at? <laughs> so he's coming over, so I think with the headphones off. He goes, Yo, I know you, but I'm not going to say nothing because I don't want to, you know, I want to take a picture, but I know people want to start coming. 
He said, but you like the biggest inspiration in my life. This is like a grown man saying this. I said, okay. He's like, man, the way you just transformed yourself, the way you stuck to it. I said, oh, thanks. He's like, yeah, I was, I was, I was just looking at you from afar, just staring at you. I said, okay, that, that sounds, you know. Hey, no, wait, wait a minute. We're just going. <laughs> I don't know where this is going, but that sounds pretty creepy, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I signed his autograph, and he was like, man, I just want to let you know, man, I'm just, I just love you guys to death. I grew up on you. You know, I just, so I'm like, all right, cool. So, but, um, you know, like, like you said, it's just a thing that people don't know. I give you one crazy story. Three days um, remember, I mean, the day before we went on the cruise, um, I went into EMP, EM, uh, EPMD's dressing room to, um, you know, to settle things with the promoter because Mark didn't want to come out um, from Miami to Connecticut and go back to Miami. I was already in New York, so I didn't mind coming to Connecticut to host the show with Dougie Fresh. And I said, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll go out there real quick and then, you know, hop on the plane in the morning and go out to Miami. It's, it's nothing to me. And so I go inside the dressing room, EPMD's dressing room, to settle things with the promoter. And so Eric, um, what's his name? Is it Eric? Eric Sermon, the other one, Paris. Oh, Paris Smith, yeah. And he walks in and he goes, so I'm, I'm standing there waiting for the promoter to come back into the room. So I'm sitting in, the, in, in their dressing room. I'm just eating like some strawberries or whatever. And he walks in, he goes, yo, you're not supposed to be in here. Oh, he didn't recognize you. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, huh? He goes, yo, no, make me call security. You're not supposed to be in here. So the promoter just walks in. He goes, hey, Paris, did you talk to Rock? And he said, Rock? He said, yeah, cool, Rock. You talk. Yo, his face just flushed like he just... <laughs> <laughs> so what you saying? He probably was like, so what you saying? That's cool, Rock. <laughs> right, exactly. And he's apologizing. I mean, he must have apologized like 10 times in one sentence. I'm like, nah, it's cool. He's like, yo, you're like, you're like 21 years old. I'm like, who's this young dude in my dressing room? I yeah, I get that a lot, man. He's like, yo, I'm, I, I apologize. Man. I'm not screwing over about it, you know? So, um, yeah, awesome. I, I got that a lot. It's just a life-changing thing, you know, after a while you just get to the point where as you get older, you know, you don't want to carry huge weight into your, your later years in your life, you know, especially once you get like 30, 35. That's the thing you don't want to do because it's harder to take it off. You know, so I just made a con, you know, a conscious decision just to say, you know what, let me just do this at a younger age. Therefore, I can just maintain it after a while. So, you know, you got ups and downs, but you never want to go back to where you were. You know what I mean? So, yeah, for sure, yeah. man. Uh, talk about Buff too. He always seemed like a really fun dude. Was that really how he was behind the scenes? Was he really like a oh, man. comic guy like yeah. that? Yeah. Oh man, he was just um it was jokes twenty four hours a day. I mean twenty four hours a day, it was just it was just physical joke. I mean physical stuff and just jokes. I mean, Buff is the kind of guy that he was this guy that would come up to you and just, just tap you in your lower regions. For no what? <laughs> oh man. He was the master of that. Like you just standing there just daydreaming. And he'll just bring you back to life. You go, oh, you son of a pan. You just start watching. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was just fun 24 hours a day. I'm like, dude, 
You don't have a period where you just have a, a, a slowdown day. Everything was you got to just be playing all day. Right. <laughs> yeah, D, that's just the way I am. I never do. Not all day. You know, it's all day with him just playing around. He was just so fun loving. Like everybody he came across, they just like just attached to him like within five seconds. You know, you know I'm hanging out with Boff. I'm like, really? You just met him? You know. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he came off as a fun-loving dude in the videos and the movies and everything. And all, I mean, all of you guys did for sure, but but Buff seemed like he definitely was in real life. Oh, man. Yeah, he was just a, you know, if Buff could have been Hugh Hefner, you know, he was. Oh, wow. <laughs> he would have been Hugh Hefner, you know? <laughs> Hugh Buffner, I don't know. I don't know that yeah, Hugh Buffner, exactly. <laughs> you know, walking around with the silky old ball day. I'm like, dude, what do you mean? Yeah, Playboy Mansion? Speaking of celebrities, you even you guys did a song with Robert England, who played Freddy Krueger for the uh, "Are You Ready with Freddy" uh, song and video. How was that working with him and doing that song? That was cool. That was that was that was really cool. That was dope. We were in California when we shot that video uh, in this dusty, it's like this factory. I mean, the outside, you know, when you first pull up, it's like this house, but we actually shot it in this kind of factory. It was so dusty in there. And, um, you know, just to hear him, you know, speak in his regular voice with the whole Freddy costume on, which is so funny. You know, he was just, he, he gets real deep in his conversations when you're just standing there going, okay, sure. That's <laughs> 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 all political stuff. I'm like, okay, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. There it is. <laughs> but uh, we took him to a hip hop club to promote the, um, the song and the movie. And we're on stage, and we introduced Freddie, and the, the people went freaking crazy. You know, he just comes up there. He didn't have the costume. He just had the hand and the hat. And, you know, they went berserk, man. You know, so he's a bunch of hip-hop guys just going, Yo, Freddie! You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a lot of us uh, hip-hop fans are also fans of the horror genre, uh, specifically Freddy Krueger in the, the Nightmare on Elm Street movie, so that was pretty cool to see that. And uh, I even yeah. saw you did a song with Chris Rock, that Champagne. I, I, I played it the other day because I haven't heard it in a long time. I was like, man, that, that's pretty funny. Kind of, kind of, kind of came full circle because of the Boomerang movie, and then now you're doing a song with Chris right. Rock for his, uh, his comedy album. Oh, he was always a huge fan from day one, Chris Rock. Chris, and he was, in, um, he was in Crush Groove. Um, but he was just like one of the extras, but he was always on the set and he was always a huge fan of us and run DMC. So he incorporated that a lot into his material back in the day. He would just rag on us, rag on run DMC. Um, so we were at a party one night. Um, a manager, my ex-manager asked me to come out to a party that Curtis Blow was at. So I went out there just to see Kurt, see how he was doing. And just so happened, you know, and, Midway through the party, um, Chris Rock walks in. So he's like, yo, I was looking for you. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, he's like, I got a song I want to do called Champagne. He said, because I'm hosting the MTV Awards and I want to do this song and they're going to play the video, so are you down to do it? I said, yeah. I had no idea what the song was about. He just said Champagne. So he said, let's go do it. I see me right now. He's like, yeah. So we went to the studio that night and we did it, you know. Yeah, it was like for those who haven't seen the video, it's like he's basically Puff Daddy, and uh, right, and exactly. It's like a lot of Little Kim uh, references in there and such. Right, it was the the rhyme even had a, a reference to 
what's the girl, Missy Elliott, you know, and um, so we shot the video. I had no, but he told me about the video on the phone before I flew out to California to do it. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do a parody of Puff Daddy, but and I said, you know what, let's just have fun and do it. Right. Well, the money was pretty good. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're like, oh, I'll be on the plane then. All right, I'll be right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And before I let you go, I remember even as a kid, I would come home from school, and there was a show called Square One. Kurt was on there, too, right. but you guys were on there. I'm trying to think, it was like you were counting burgers or something, and uh, I, was right. doing, it was, right. I was super geeked to run home that day and watch you guys on there. Talk about just that and just just like how the Fat Boys just got so big. I mean, you guys went from like you know having only a couple songs, and next thing you know, you're on kids' shows, you're in movies. Right. I mean, it's just like the whole thing is just, just mind-boggling to me. You look back at it. Oh. Um. That particular show that you're talking about, Buff brother, um, Kurt, he was in the, the Unsung episode. Um, he passed away a, a year and a half ago. Um, he told me that when we were, I think we shot some of that in, on the outside, if I'm not mistaken. We shot some of them in the streets. Um, if that's the same one. Um, but he told me that we were shooting the show something similar to that. Uh, I'm talking about you know, ABCs and you know math and all this kind of stuff. And we had to sign a waiver right there on the set. He said that the guy who asked me in the park, it was two guys sitting in the park. One of the guys said, hey, brother, do you want me to look that over for you? Look that, that contract over. And I said, no, my, man, my, my lawyer already looked it over. Plus, it's just a little waiver. He said that that guy was Barack Obama. What? That actually asked. And I said, are you sure? He said, dear. He's like, yo, cool. I will never forget a face. He said, that was Barack Obama. And when he, when I thought about it, I said, well, Barack was studying law in New York at one time. You know, he was a lawyer. He was right. studying law. And I said, you know, he might be right, you know. But um, <laughs> just getting back on, I said that could. I mean, you know, I wish I, right. I wish I had a way to ask him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <that's> right. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Yeah, I never forget a face." He said, "That was Barack Obama that asked you at that day." And um, you know, yeah, we shot a lot of those. I think we shot a, a show with um, what's that crazy comedian guy? Um, I forgot his name, but um, he had a show called Gasoline Alley, something like that, something Alley. Oh, that sounds familiar, um, yeah. I can't think of the guy's name, though. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and those kind of shows, yeah, they was asking us all the time to shoot those shows. Um, Marlo Thomas, who's the wife of Phil Donahue, she got us involved in, in something as well, and we, we went to this big, just this, this huge fundraiser party and seen all these elite, wealthy people, you know, we're dressed up in jeans and sneakers and gold chains. <laughs> you know, what are we doing here? But, um, yeah, we was getting invited to, and, and asked to do so many things, you know, dealing with whether it be children, whether it be mad, um, mothers against drunk drivers. Um, they had us on their panel. So we was, we was asked to do so many things. So we was just, you know, a lot of children like there's a lot of, um, we're just a big influence at that time. So, you know, that comes with a lot of responsibility. We used to actually do so many things, just having a lot of fun in the process. A lot of it was hard work, but a lot of it, um, especially going overseas, we just shooting so many crazy little TV shows. You know, and the guys sometimes would get, you know, PO'd about why we got to do so much work. And I would just tell them, you know, if we take care of this, we can, you know, 
do what we want after after all this is over. We'll spend so much energy and time complaining about it that it'll take longer. Instead of just let's just knock this out, go back to the hotel, we go out in the town and do whatever. You know, so they kind of adopted that attitude that I had. Just let's just do it and get it over with, and, just, you know, and you be, be done with it. You know, that's the right mindset. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, man. Big up for coming on here, man. I really appreciate your time, Cool Rock. I mean, it was an honor. Like I said, I, I, I don't know if I'm that much different in your age, but, you know, like a hip-hop, like two years is like a decade. So it's like as a kid, right. you know, growing up, listening to Fat Boys and Run DMC, LL, Houdini, Beasties, all of them, all of them were like, you know, that's my, my, my groundwork. So I was just mad hyped to get a chance to talk with you and chop it up about your, your career. And, and, man, if you guys are going to really do something live and do a show, and I, I'm, I'm – First there, if, if you guys are coming to Chicago, I'm going to be right there in the front, man. I, mad geek to hear about that possibly happening. I definitely let you know when you know when we we start the process of doing it and um, what cities we're going to hit. Uh, let me just say also, you know, what I'm doing now, just like what you're doing. I have a podcast as well. I have the 360 University podcast. All right, and um, yeah, so we're just we're just we're just talking on so many topics, whether it be hip hop, whether it be fashion, whether it be um, health. So me and another guy named DJ Three Sixty, we have the you know the podcast going on. So we're and how can people way. hear the the podcast? Where can they find it? Um, it's on Anchor. It's on Google Play Music. It's on iTunes. Um, it's on SoundCloud. You know, it's everywhere, pretty much. So all right, and I hear I talk about nerd stuff like you know Marvel movies and. You know, Walking Dead. So if you ever need a dork to talk about that stuff, you know, you know, you know where to find me. But uh. <laughs> okay, cool. My my my, friend, my girl, she's a huge fan of um TWD, the Walking Dead. Oh, okay. She's a huge fan. She got me involved with it, so I'm I'm looking at it. <laughs> I'm looking. At it. You're not as big a fan as she is, but you're definitely checking it out. Yeah, I'm, che- I'm checking it out. I'm looking at it. I mean, I'm checking it out. But, um, I'm starting to get into it as well. You know. It's a hard show just to jump into because there's so much. It's like the tenth season now, so there's a lot to catch up on if you're just now getting into it. So it's kind of like, yeah. you know, where do you start without going right from the beginning? But uh, man, so uh, people could follow you on, online on social media anywhere like that to catch up with you. Oh uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm always posting on Facebook. You know, there's a lot of grown people on Facebook. I pretty much stay on that. Um, I do Instagram every once in a blue moon. Instagram once you post something. You get people out the woodwork that want to debate you on it, you know. Ah. <laughs> Facebook is more your speed because there's more older people on it, so you can keep pretty much everything in check. Um, but I'm on Facebook as, as um, Damon Kurok Wembley. I'm on Instagram as Damon Wembley. Um, I got a Twitter account, but I think my niece takes care of that. I have no idea about Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Two out of three ain't bad. You already you named the main ones, so you're good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Man. Well, I'm going to play uh, You're the Man from that Mac Daddy record. I feel like you lyrically on this song, because you had to carry the weight on that album because you're only lyricist uh, for that last uh, Fat Boys record. But I think this song right here really shows how much you were vocally. And, you know, for those who slept, Cool Rock rips it on this one. So I'm going to play that after we talk here, man. All right. Peace. That's dope. That's dope. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, thanks, Cool Rock, for coming on the Infinite Banter podcast. It's an honor, man, talking to you. Really appreciate it, dude. No problem at all, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, for sure. So let's go ahead and play that song I was talking about. This here is Your Demand off the Fat Boys album Mac Daddy. And in case you slept, Cool Rock verbally is just rips it on this one. So don't sleep. This is Cool Rock Ski with the Fat Boys from their album Mac Daddy. This song here is Your Demand on the Infinite Banter podcast. 
Yo, what up, y'all? This is your friendly neighborhood fly guy, Cool Kim, a.k.a. NY Orla Ideal. And I'm chilling with Vanilla Ice's number one fan, DJ Soundwave, on the Infinite Banner Radio Show. Yeah. <laughs> Are you checking out the Infinite Banter podcast? And I have to reveal number four on the list. I've done 10, and I'll just go right down the list so far. Number 10 was the Ghostface Killer. Number nine was Redman. Eight was Cool G Rap. Seven was the Notorious B.I.G. Number six was LL Cool J. And number five on the most recent episode, I revealed Tupac. And as I said before, I'll say this every time I do this. This is my personal top ten, my personal list. These are the ones who I think are the greatest, in my opinion, that move me the most. There's going to be a couple names on here that people are going to be mad at that I don't have. And I get it. And every no list is right, no list is wrong. Except mine. Mine's the best. But no, definitely, for real. Everybody's got their own opinions on things, and this is just who I like the most, and these are the ones who get me hyped, and they're always going to be the ones that I cherish the most. And, you know, some of these might move around and change over the years, but for the most part, these 10 are pretty much my favorite. But when I get to number one, I'll reveal some of the ones I really wanted to put in there, and we're really on the cusp of it, and uh, I'll explain why a couple others maybe didn't make the cut. So, uh, number four, the one and only Antonio Hardy, Big Daddy Kane. I, this dude right here, the thing that's so great about him is that he, a lot like LL, but in a different sense, he had a good way of balancing that that sex symbol, the, the songs for the women, but he would really rip on those records, man, like Raw and Ain't No Half-Stepping. 
Hard being the cane. I mean, this dude is just one of the all-time greats. And he's a real good showman, too. I've seen him in concert a bunch of times. And he does that move with Scoob and Scrap where he does the, the shirt pull and he falls into a splits. And then I don't even know how to explain it because I don't dance. I don't know how to do that. But it's tremendous. I mean, a lot of MCs on this list don't even touch you know, any kind of dancing uh, opportunity. So they don't even do it. Kane is one of the all-time greats. I mean, as soon as I heard him the first time, I'm trying to think what song it might have been. It might have been Raw or Ain't No Half-Step. And I just knew right away, like, this dude is bringing it. You know, there's always that idea that maybe him and Rakim might go toe-to-toe on a battle. And yeah, that would have been like Ali Frazier. I mean, that would have been like one of the greatest battles of all time. But without a doubt, Big Daddy Kane, lyrically, he was just super cool. He had the the flat top and the the gold chains, it just had the style, everything about him. When you think of MCs, I mean, it's hard. I don't know how you could not mention Big Daddy Kane, and he's always been in my top five. So number four on this list, Big Daddy Kane, one of the greatest showmen. There is a, a show he did overseas. I want to say it was in uh, maybe Germany or something, but you can look it up on YouTube. He did like a 45-minute concert. He just does all the classics. Even the Young, Gifted, and Black, which is one of my favorite Big Daddy Kane records. And uh, the crowd was feeling it. These kids are probably, some of them probably weren't even born, you know, when, uh, when Raw or Wrath of Kane came out. But it, it's just, he just shows you how good he is and how he could just bring it. He is just one of the all-time greats. And like I said, to me, it's not just the songs. It's, it's the whole package. I mean, the dude on stage is, is a beast. He brings that entertainment value, and he had a good way of balancing the sex symbol stuff with the hardcore rhymes. He never turned off the fellas to the love songs and never made the women think that they couldn't listen to Big Daddy Kane when he was doing those those hard songs. So uh, Big Daddy Kane, man, easily, easily a top five candidate. And on my list, he's number four. That's Big Daddy Kane. Yo, it's Rap Almighty at a Derpa Chain, and you're rocking with Effing and Dancing Podcast right now. Time for you to leave, assholes. All right, that'll do it for this episode. I appreciate everybody for checking it out. Once again, big shout out to Cool Rock. I, I'm just like so excited to talk to him. I mean, you guys don't understand, man. I mean, as a kid growing up, when I first saw Crush Groove and first started buying the albums, and Fat Boys Are Back, Big and Beautiful, and buying those cassette tapes and playing them in the Walkman, and my core was Run DMC, Fat Boys, Houdini, LL, Beastie Boys. Like, I bought all that stuff and just played it to death to be talking to Cool Rock and to hear about the Fat Boys. I mean, it's just, just hip-hop history, and these dudes are legends. I'm just, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm speechless because I can't believe I talked to Cool Rock, so really excited to have done that. Thanks to him for coming on. And I'm going to play one more song from the Fat Boys before I leave as well. Remember, you can find the show on all digital platforms, usual places like Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Spotify, Blueberry, Stitcher, Google Play, Luminary. That's one I never heard of, but I found out that I'm on there. So just wherever you just, just Google search Infinite Banter. You'll find it. It's very easy to find. If you're listening to it now, you've already found a way to listen to the show. So keep doing that. Podcast.com. On Twitter at Infinite Banter. Infinite Banter on Facebook. DJ Soundwave 75 on Instagram. Thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. WWE is in town. I plan on going to see uh, SmackDown tonight. Going to do some wrestling stuff this weekend. So I'm really hyped for uh, wrestling invading the Chicagoland area. So if you guys are in the Chicagoland area, or if you're just watching wrestling on TV, you might see me in the crowd on uh, Friday night here, SmackDown. So all right, that's it. Big up to Cool Rock, and I'll catch you guys in the next one. And before I leave, let's play one last Fat Boy song. This is from their second album, The Fat Boys Are Back, and this song here is called Yes, Yes, Y'all. And I picked this one specifically because 
I talk a lot of nerd stuff on this podcast, and Prince Markedia in his verse, he talks about the Incredible Hulk and Bruce Banner. So check that verse out. Thought it fit into this format really well. But again, thanks to everybody for checking out the show. I'll catch you guys in the next one. Here's the Fat Boys. Yes, yes, y'all, on the Infinite Banter Podcast. I'm out. Anyone?